Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. For more information, please visit www.churchinthecity.us. All right, John chapter 4, if you have a Bible, grab a, grab a Bible, grab an iPhone, grab a smartphone, if, flick if you can to, to John chapter 4, we're continuing there. I want to, as I ask you to do that, I want to ask you guys to cast your, your minds back to um, high school English, English lit class. The, you know the class that you took where you had to read books, that, that one? Um, probably in the day, the real books with pages and what have you. Um, do you guys remember the, the great book by Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities? Was that a, that was a book that you guys, I'm sure, read. We did it in South Africa. Do you guys remember how it started? The, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I think sometimes that probably describes life here in Chicago, doesn't it? This, uh, the reality, if I'm just being real for a moment, the reality, the excitement of, uh, of extremely good moments and the challenges of extremely difficult moments. The, <laughs> yeah, you, guys, you guys, I think, identify well with that. But I think the, the fact is, living in a city like the, like the one that we do, we have to face the, the, the impact of constant extremes. You know, the, the one extreme of, of running early in the morning in the summer along the lakefront, going for a three-mile run as the sun rises. And then contrast that with uh, getting home at five o'clock in the evening, fighting a blizzard in the dark at five o'clock in the evening. Or the challenge sometimes of, you know, the, the availability of friends to go and get together and watch a summer concert. And then the contrasting that with sometimes your friends aren't available because they're so busy and you're having to spend a night at home alone and fighting discouragement and despair because you're lonely. Or the incredible affluence on the north side, pockets of the north side, and the extreme poverty that we see on the south, parts of the south and parts of the west. Or the availability of world-class restaurants that are right on our doorstep, but then taking 30 minutes to get there when the restaurant's only two miles away because we're fighting traffic and construction. Not to mention, and I do this all the time because this is the way I get to work, bikers and motorists duking it out down Milwaukee Avenue. Just... A city of extreme contrast, a city of extreme challenges. And uh, I think the reality of living in a city, certainly for me, whatever is in our heart seems to be magnified, doesn't it? You know, whether, it, whether it's good or bad, whatever is in here, the city seems to bring out the best of us, but the city also seems to, at times, unfortunately, bring out the worst of us. It's a challenge. It's not comfortable. It's not necessarily easy living in a city. But for me, I wouldn't change it for the world. I, I honestly wouldn't. The question I want to try and answer today is how do we make sanity of this all? How do, we, how do we find some sense of consistency between the extreme highs and the, and the despairing lows that we face and the, the kind of constant going back and forth from one to the other? How do we find hope when there seems to be anxiety? Or how do we find joy when we seem to live with regret of past mistakes? Or how do we find consistency in the ever-changing issues that we face? We sang that song today that I've never heard before, outstanding song where, um, forgive me if I get the words wrong, but it speaks about, no, I'm not going to sing it. But uh, the, the, the words, something of the words of, of, of we live in a, in a city which, which, help me, Nate, I'm battling with the words, that madness of the... the there you go. Though the world moves like mad, you alone are faithful. God is the only constant. And that's something of what we're going to be discovering and, and looking at today. We are, as, as James mentioned, working our way through the book of John. And the, the big question we're trying to answer in this series is, who is God? 
That's the, that's the overarching question. That's the main pursuit of the series. And we've chosen to work through the book of John because Jesus explicitly teaches in John 14, if you knew me, if you really knew me, that word know, that word knew is, is a very important word um, as we've already seen for those who've been here for the last two weeks. But into the series, that word know is not talking about knowledge from perception or knowledge from, from hearing or knowledge from study. It's a knowledge that comes from personal intimacy. It's, it's a transformative knowledge. It's a life-changing knowledge. And Jesus says in John 14, if you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. And so, so John, clearly, the purpose of John is to show us Jesus because Jesus has come to show us the Father. And last week, we were introduced to Nicodemus, that, uh, that uh, great teacher, Israel's, you know, one of Israel's great teachers. And he had it on his heart to, to come to Jesus to find out who he was. That was the question he was basically asking. He, he said to Jesus, Jesus, we know you, there's that word again, we know you to be a man sent from God. God is clearly working through you. Um, uh, who are you? Tell us about yourself. And interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. What he does is he tells them about God. The answer to the question from Nicodemus, who are you, is let me tell you about God. And, and we studied that great, the greatest, I think, the greatest of all verses in Scripture because it contains the greatest news, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That was the theme of last week. It seems to be the theme this week. Let me tell you, it'll be the theme next Sunday. It'll be the theme tomorrow morning. It was the theme last week, and it'll be the theme forever. God's love. For God so loved the world. For God so loved West Africa. For God so loved wherever, the neighborhood in which you live. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What an incredible verse. And as much as we talked on that last week, the reason I raise it again today is because that is the context for the passage we're going to look at in John 4. We can't ignore, we can't just say, great, interesting sermon last Sunday, Steve, thank you so much. No, let me tell you, it's the context for what we're going to study today. So last week, the answer to the question, who is God? Our answer to that is, our God is a God who saves. This week, the answer to the question, who is God, is, Our God is the giver of living water. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. There's two things that I I want to try and achieve today, um, depending on time. But the main main purpose of this morning's uh, uh, sermon is to try and make sense of this incredible promise that Jesus makes in John chapter 4, verse 10. And he says, paraphrase, he says, basically, he says to the woman, "If, if you knew who I was, there's that word again, no. If you knew, not, not if you perceive or if you learn about me, but if, if you allow me to impact your life, if you, allow, if you allow me to transform your life, if you really know me, then you will know the gift that I have to, to give. And you would be asking me for a drink, and I will give you living water. We want to try and make sense of, of that promise that Jesus gives us. Because let me tell you, in a city like ours, we sang about it, we've just spoken about it, in a city like ours, we are in desperate need of living water. Not just people who might be sitting in this room who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but every single one of us sitting in this room try to find or try to quench our thirsts by other things or from other things. And Jesus is the only one who will be able to satisfy the thirst, the question that we have in our hearts, is there more? What what is my purpose here? Jesus is the only one who can answer that, that particular question. If time allows, I want to just take 10 minutes at the end to just um, share some thoughts about how do we share Jesus with others 
And we're going to look at that based on Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. John chapter 4 is, a, is an easy passage to divide. And if you read most commentaries, you'll see that this is what most commentators do. They, they divide the first 14 verses up in, into, the, into section number 1, which is where Jesus is introduced or uh, meets this woman at the well, this, this uh, Samaritan woman at the well, and he offers her living water. The second section is, is verse 15 through to verse 26, and it's where Jesus challenges the woman to, to face up to her hurt and her brokenness. And, and she comes eventually to know Jesus, and Jesus teaches her about what true worship actually looks like. And then verse 27 through to the end of verse 42, this is where the woman rushes off back to the village, back to the town that she's from, to tell people the good news of what has happened to her. And many people get saved, and Jesus uses that as a teaching opportunity for his disciples. The problem with that approach, and I, I want to just lay it out, because that's every commentary you'll read, you'll probably come across that structure. The problem with that approach is that it reduces this account into, a, into a, a text that needs to be studied theologically. And as much as we need to learn from these scriptures, I'm, I'm asking us, please, today and for the rest of this series, let's not just approach this series as a theological exercise. This primarily is a story an account, a testimony of a broken woman who was in pain and she found Jesus as her Lord and Savior and her life was transformed and she learned that she was now created and called to be a worshiper of Jesus. One who would worship Jesus in truth because she took God at his word and believed in what he said. A, a woman who worshiped Jesus in spirit because God had breathed life in her and her spirit had come alive and a woman who went away and told other people of what Jesus has done. That's the way we need to approach the story primarily. So please, I implore you as we go through and we, and we yes, we are going to learn some things. Please don't let it primarily be a theological exercise. Let this not just be an accumulation of information. Realize that this woman is as real as your brother or sister, as real as your neighbor, as real as your work colleague who is as desperate for Jesus as this woman was. I implored us last week, and I, and I, do, I want to do the same again. I want, I want us all, including myself, and as I've been preparing these sermons, I've tried my best to do this, to put a face and a name to the application that we're, that we're finding. There is going to be personal application. We are going to learn about living water. We are going to learn about the fact that Jesus comes to, to, to refresh us. But there has to be personal application in, in us having faith to realize the people around us are just like Nicodemus and just like this Samaritan woman in desperate need of Jesus. So let's work our way through these first 14 verses, starting at verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Basically, uh, uh, most commentators agree that what the Pharisees were doing, they were actually keeping tally. They were counting. They were, they were keeping score as to who was baptizing more. And uh, their, their motive seemed to be that they wanted to try and set Jesus and John up as rivals, certainly in the eyes of the people. And uh, it says in verse 2, Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples who, were, who was doing the baptizing. When the Lord learnt of this, he left Judea. I love that. He left Judea and went back to once more to Galilee. Comparison, friends. Comparing ourselves to others. Comparing this church to other churches. It kills the life of God. I say that strongly because I've 
been in that situation myself where I've lived at times comparing myself to others and feeling inadequate. The only thing that happened, two things that happen when we compare ourselves, we either don't feel like we're doing enough or we feel like we're not good enough. One, one, one option ends, us, ends in despair, the other option ends in work and striving. And neither of those are honoring to the life of God. Comparison is not loving. Comparison is not honoring. Comparison is, is not finding rest and trusting in the Lord and His timing. We need to understand that, that God has given each and every single one of us a trust. He entrusts wealth to some more than others. He entrusts favor. He entrusts gifts. He entrusts relationships. He entrusts positions of influence and impact. And what God desires is not for us to compare others compare ourselves to others and say, why has that person got more? Or why is that person being used in that way? But God, God's word is clear. He wants us to be faithful with what he's entrusted to us. And when we are faithful, he promises he will entrust more to us. You want to grow in God? You want, to, you want God to trust you with more? You want to uh, ensure that what, what he's given you expands and is used more? Be faithful with what he's given you. And God's word is clear. He will add more. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus now wanting to get away from this, this, this uh, uh, um, idea, but, you know, this, this plan from the Pharisees, he, 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 he needed to go back to Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria. So he was in Judea, Galilee was to his north, and immediately between Galilee and where he was in Judea was this area called Samaria. So he came, verse 5, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and, sorry, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tried, sorry, Jesus tired as he was from the journey. It's about a 30-mile journey. So Jesus had been walking, taking this, this journey by foot, 30-mile journey, sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon, middle of the day. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Drawing water from a well was typically something done at the end of the day, in the cool of the day. And he has this woman doing it in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day. And normally it was something done in community. It was done with other people's help. And here this woman is alone. It just gives us an indication of her brokenness and her, her loneliness. The Samaritan, verse, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. John gives us a little bit of context. You can actually learn about the Samaritans in uh, 2 Kings chapter 17. Um, and I'm not going to bore you with those facts right now. But, but Samaritans were basically half Jew, half Gentile. And uh, were hated by the Jews, absolutely despised by the Jews. To the point where the Samaritans, in rebellion and in opposition to Jewish religious law, set up their own temple not too far from where this conversation is actually taking place. And they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They had their own temple. To call someone a Samaritan, for a Jew to call someone a Samaritan, was the biggest insult possible. In, in John chapter 8, actually, uh, uh, Jesus is having it Well, The Jews are arguing with Jesus. And, 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 and like right at the climax of this argument, one of the Jews is like, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a Samaritan. He could, that was the worst thing he could think of saying. You're a Samaritan and you're demon-possessed. I mean, that's how, that's how much Jews 
dis- dislike Samaritans. So for Jesus to be talking to this woman was a, a significant thing. Not only that, but Jesus, a man, was talking to a woman, which was a very kind of unheard of thing, as, as crazy as it sounds. I came across this particular legal statement in, in, um, in Jewish law, ancient legal statement in Jewish law. It says this, a man should not talk with a woman on the street, not even his own wife, and certainly not with someone else's wife. It is forbidden to give a, wo- a woman any form of greeting. I mean, that's, that's just, that's shocking. That absolutely is shocking. Uh, I, I've used this illustration before, but um, there's this ancient Jewish, and I use the word blessing kind of rather liberally, this ancient Jewish blessing, which was recited back in the day of Paul. And it's, it goes like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who has created me a human and not a beast, a man and not a woman, an Israelite, not a Gentile, circumcised, not uncircumcised, free and not a slave. And Paul himself, who, who not only would have recited this blessing, would have embodied its, its prejudice, was later transformed by the love of Jesus, the love that Vanessa read about in worship, the love that, 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 that doesn't hold things against, that, that doesn't uh, create boundaries, the love that, love, that loves others. Paul would later write, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, or in this case, Jew nor Samaritan, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Last week, we learned about Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this educated, uh, uh, moral upstanding member of society. And this week, we're learning about the Samaritan woman, this, this outcast, this woman broken because of multiple difficult, hurtful um, you know, uh, uh, um, situations and, and relationships. And uh, one educated, the other, the other uneducated. One, one held in high esteem by many, one scorned and, and despised by most people. But the reality is, both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman needed Jesus. And this is where I'm asking you, please, to, 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 to trust God for those people in your life. Have faith. Put your faith in God. Put your hope in Jesus' power to save those people that are in your circles. Maybe people you know who are not too dissimilar to this Samaritan woman, broken and, and bruised and struggling to find worth and dignity. Maybe like Nicodemus, a, a, an outwardly moral and upright member of society, but inwardly dying. Maybe someone like Paul, who, who was hardened to the gospel and hated Jesus and violently opposed, was opposed to the scripture. Maybe someone even like Matthew, the tax collector, who ended up writing the gospel of Matthew. A religious man, a Levite, who wanted nothing to do with religion. And just as a little aside, I, I love the fact that Matthew was the only writer of the Gospels who quoted Isaiah 44. A bruised reed you will not break, and a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. That's the Jesus that saved me. That's the Jesus that saved you. When we were bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, he didn't just discard us and said, there's no hope for you, no hope for that person, no matter what we've done. I want to say there's hope for your friends. 
There's hope for your family members. There's hope for your work colleagues. I've eaten what Phil ate ate this morning. The Samaritan woman said to him, verse 9, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And here Jesus answers this great verse that I referenced earlier. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And and wonderfully, beautifully, here what, what happens is Jesus is outlining the way to salvation, just as he did last, just as we learned last week in John chapter 3, except the analogy or the metaphor has changed. Last week, Jesus was speaking about the wind of the Spirit and the, the, the breath of God blowing wherever he pleases. This week, Jesus is, sorry, not this week, in this instance, Jesus is talking about, about the, the rivers of living water, streams or springs or wells of living water, but the truth, the teaching is exactly the same. To come into relationship with Jesus, we have to know. There's that word again. We have to know who he is. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, it it, it requires that God awaken our hearts. It requires that, that God open the eyes of our hearts. It requires that God causes our spirits to come alive to him, for us to realize, for us to see the the gift that he's offering us, the gift of liberty, the gift of healing, the gift of wholeness and dignity and worth, the gift of forgiveness of sins. And when we see that, all we have to do, last week we learned this, this week same thing, all we have to do is ask. Become empty-handed. Salvation is not about what we give up. Salvation is not about us giving our lives to Jesus. Salvation is about us receiving something from Him. Not something. It's about us receiving someone. And that someone is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. As empty-handed we come and we say, God, Jesus, would you come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior? That's what salvation is. God alone saves Two friends of mine, two dear friends of mine back in South Africa, both wonderfully saved, both saved in completely different ways. I've shared, I think I may have shared this before, but in case you haven't heard the story, a friend called Jakes, he was, he was into goth, uh, you know, kind of dark, dark, used to dress in dark clothes and dark eyeliner and dark hair and just a really miserable chap, he really was. And... Um, <laughs> And his sister, he was an incredible musician. His sister would pray for him and lift his guitar up to the Lord and pray for years that he would get saved. I met him once at a music store, which was really kind of out there for me because I feel very uncomfortable in music stores. And he just was, had not, wanted nothing to do with me. He comes to church a week later. And in the middle of worship, we hear this clattering of chairs just being kind of literally flung aside. And Jake's walks No one had preached just in the middle of worship. Jake's literally kicking chairs down, runs to the front of church, throws himself on the ground and weeps and gives his heart to Jesus. No one prayed for him. No one preached the gospel. No one one led him to the Lord. He just had a revelation of Jesus. Another friend, Martin, big, big, very successful rugby player, big, burly man, a gentle heart, but a giant of a man. Good husband, good father, came to church for seven months. Every Sunday was there. Every Sunday the gospel was preached. Every Sunday whoever was preaching would look at the back hoping that that would be the Sunday Martin would lift his hand up to receive the Lord and he never did. For seven months 
And then finally, a Sunday like every other Sunday. Fairly good sermon, good worship, stumbled our way through an altar call. Martin puts up his hand. I want to receive Jesus. Where were you for the last seven months, Martin? You know? No, God is at work. It's the breath of the Spirit of God. It's the river of living water. We cannot save. As much as I've tried, as much as I've wanted to, as much as I've put myself under the pressure to do it, we cannot save. All we can do is share the gospel and let Jesus do what only he can do. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with the well, and the well is deep. Where can you Get this living water. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? She still thinks Jesus is talking about physical water. Physical, uh, this living water, she thinks it's physical. And so Jesus answered, and this is kind of the the, the kind of crux of what I want to share with you today. Simple stuff. Uh, Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Three little quick comments about verse 13 and 14. Firstly, Jesus identifies a problem. Not just a problem that the Samaritan woman was facing, but friends, a problem that every single one of us face. And that problem is this, that we all have a thirst that cannot be quenched, certainly by things that the world has to offer. We all have this thirst. We all have this yearning for more. We all have this desire, this, this kind of question in us. You know, is there more? What is the purpose? All of these kind of questions. And I, let me tell you, we are surrounded just like this woman was by the opportunity to find the quenching of our thirst from anything and anyone but Jesus. That's the problem that we face. I haven't seen the movie Unbroken. You, remember, you know that movie that came out over the Christmas time? But I did read the book. And um, it's a really, it's a fascinating but very difficult book to read because it's just page after page after page of this, this guy's incredible uh, journey and, and suffering. If you haven't heard, basically the story is, it's a true story, uh, uh, shot down in the Second World War, um, uh, uh, landed with a, with a buddy in, in the life raft, and um, the first night... The one guy ate the only bit of chocolate that they had. He, he, he kind of panicked and he ate it all. So they spent 46 days, I think it's 46 days, um, in the Pacific Ocean with no water and somehow managed to survive. And I won't go into the details. But here's the irony of the situation. These guys are, are literally on the verge of death because of dehydration, yet they're surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. But they cannot drink the water from the Pacific Ocean in a hope to quench their thirst because the very water that they think might save them will ultimately kill them because it's salted water. And that just struck me when I read this verse. That's what, we're, that's what we face. We're, we're, we're like, the, 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 like he was, surrounded by things that masquerade as good things, that masquerade as ultimate things. And if we try to drink the water that these good things give in the hope that they would ultimately satisfy us, let me tell you, it not only will, will not quench our thirst, it will ultimately destroy us. Good things like family, good things like career, good things like finance, good things like ministry, good things like, like social causes, all good things. But if those good things become ultimate things, they will destroy us, friends. Anything that is not Jesus that finds its way into the center of our hearts will kill us. 
Jesus is the only one who knows how to lead us without destroying us. Everything else, everyone else, your husband, your desire for a husband, your children, your desire for children, they will destroy you if they become ultimate things in our lives. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, Jeremiah says this from the word of the Lord, uh, prophesying. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They've forsaken me. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water, which leads me to my second uh, point. The first one, Jesus identifies a problem. Second thing, Jesus offers a solution. The solution Jesus offers is that, wait a minute, guys, the, the world doesn't offer an ability to quench your thirst, but I do. I, I have, Jesus says, I have the living water. I have the, the only thing that will quench your thirst, the only thing that will satisfy, and that is living water, which will, which will spring up, which will rise up to eternal life. Not just eternal life meaning living forever, eternal life meaning, meaning kingdom life, here even on earth. Life within, in fellowship with Jesus, life in partnership with Jesus. Jesus is not speaking about the cisterns that we mentioned in Jeremiah 2. In biblical times, there were two kinds of wells. There was a cistern, which was a, a 16 or, or 20 foot deep kind of a big kind of cavern under the ground, which was covered up with rocks and what have you, and, and maybe a two foot wide uh, hole. And, and the, the, the way that cistern was filled was by collecting rainwater. But you see, the problem with that kind of a cistern or that kind of a well was it was very easily contaminated. Rocks or dirt or, 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 or kind of trash could fall into that water and, the, and the, the well is contaminated and it becomes useless. That's not the kind of well Jesus says that he is offering living water. He's talking about what is geographically or ge, uh, ge, geologically called an artesian well which basically is, a, is an underground spring. It's an underground stream. And so a hole would be bored into the ground. And just like you would be tapping for oil, you would tap into this artesian well. And instead of, instead of the, the, the well being filled from, by rainwater, it would, it would be filled from water gushing up from underneath. Those wells, friends, could not be contaminated. Why? Because of dirt or trash or, 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 or stuff fell into the well fresh water would come from underneath and would purify and would cleanse the well. That's, isn't that a beautiful picture of, of, of how you and I are called to, to find a, 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 a wholeness and, and, and healing and, and, and comfort and wisdom and joy in the face of anxiety and, 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 and sickness and confusion and, incons and the inconsistencies of this world, that stuff is all dirt and junk and it fills our hearts, friends. The way we solve that is not by us jumping into our hearts and saying, I need to sort this out and I need to do that. No, the way we find healing and wholeness is we come to Jesus and allow his spring of living water to well up within our hearts and flush the junk out. Mark Glaubo, if he's here today, the, if, you, if he shared wonderfully uh, 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 an invitation to go to a, uh, uh, an equip class. But in that, in that, in that announcement, he, he used this beautiful analogy of, of, of how the devil has, had, had come to him and, and was accusing him. And literally, he had this picture of the devil standing and unveiling or, un, or kind of opening up the scroll of accusations. 
And he said the scroll was filled with writing from here all the way to Evanston. I mean, where do you even start dealing with that stuff? How, which, one do you, which one do you pick? Number one? Number five billion? I mean, where, where do you start? But you know what Mark, uh, was, Mark was encouraging us with? He, 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 he pressed in with Jesus. He, he went to the giver of living water. And he allowed the, the giver of living water to, to cause that, that, that presence of God just to, just to rise up within him. Just to wash out. And, and in a moment, he said he saw that scroll was suddenly clean. That's the invitation Jesus is giving us, which is the third point I want to make. Not only does Jesus identify a problem or offer a solution, but he extends an invitation. In John 7, which, yes, some say that passage is talking about baptism in the Spirit, and this passage is talking about salvation. Let's not haggle over theology right now. In John 7, Jesus simply says this. Anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And, and out of him will flow streams of living water. Anyone who's discouraged, anyone who's, who's hurting, anyone who's confused, anyone who's living with anxiety, anyone who's living with regret. I, I don't think I'm doing any disservice to the text if I replace anyone who's thirsty with those words. What does thirsty mean to you? It could mean any one of those things. The answer, friends, is to come to Jesus. Not to try to clean up your life yourself. Not to roll up your sleeves and say, okay, I've got it. Yes, good, good, good pr- accountability, helpful. You know, uh, good disciplines, helpful. But let me tell you, good disciplines will not save, will not solve the, some of the issues that we face. It's Jesus. It's coming to Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I need your rivers of living water. I need your breath of life. I need you to, to cleanse me. This is something I cannot do. The list of things against me is from here to Evanston. Jesus, only you can wipe that away. And that's the invitation I want to give this morning. There's not going to be time to do that second part that I had hoped to do. Maybe we'll do that another time. But that's the invitation I feel like Jesus is wanting to give us today. We're going to break bread as a family right now. And, and breaking bread, the, the, the joy, the, the, the privilege of breaking bread is that we get to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We get to celebrate the fact that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, gave up his life. His body was broken so that you and I firstly could come into relationship with him. So that you and I could have that intimacy with him. But friends, it's so much more. The cross celebrates Jesus' victory over death. The cross celebrates Jesus' victory over sickness. The cross celebrates Jesus' victory over discouragement. So if you are here today and you are feeling anxious and you need to find joy, then I want to say, look to Jesus. If you are here today and you are confused and needing wisdom and it just seems foggy, I want to say, come to the giver of living water. If you are sick today and you are needing healing, you know what? We will pray and we can pray, but Jesus alone is the one who can heal your disease and and heal your, your sickness. Look to him. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe something of what I've said or, or even though it's just words from a, from a man, maybe God got hold of some of those words this morning and caused those words to come alive in your heart. Maybe you've seen Jesus today for the first time that, in, in a way that you've never seen him before. Let me tell you, right now, right now, all you have to do is say, Jesus, 
would you come into my heart? I don't understand everything. I don't fully comprehend everything. I don't grasp everything. You know what? Neither do I. There's not one person in this room who understands everything that's contained in here. But if Jesus has caused your heart to come alive today, just say, Jesus, I, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I give you, I, I, I open my hands and, and I receive you into my heart. Can you do that right now if that's you? Right now, before we break bread together, right where you're seated, just say, Jesus, if that's you, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my heart. Thank you, Lord. The worship team are going to, the worship team will be leading us in a song this morning. Um, so this is, what, this is what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to, to, to uh, uh, come down, and um, there are two tables to my left and right, and um, you can actually go either side of the table to speed things along. Uh, break off a piece of bread, grab a, a, a little cup of, of grape juice, and uh, make your way back to the, your chair, uh, your seat, and then we're going to break bread together as a, as a family. Uh, Nate and, and Nancy are going to lead us in a song, so feel free to sing along. Uh, feel free to worship with the band. They're not here to entertain us. They're just leading us in worship. Feel free to sing along as you are waiting in line to grab the grape juice. As you go back to your seat, continue to worship. Let this be a time of, of you pressing into God, the giver of living water. And then we'll, we'll pray together and, um, and close the meeting after that. So come down, guys, if I can ask you just to get started. Grab, make two lines either side of the table. Grab some bread, grab some grape juice, and worship with the worship team as we, uh, as we do that.